Last week, we saw Hezekiah respond to the threat of the Assyrian invasion with mere human wisdom. And that was tragic. Here he is, the king of Judah, the king of God's people, and he's faced with this giant threat. And rather than turn to the Lord and ask for wisdom and help, he turns south to Egypt and makes an alliance with Egypt, thinking Egypt and Judah, maybe we can stand against the mighty Assyrians. And so God sends Isaiah the prophet to confront Hezekiah on his faithless act and says, you should have asked me, I could have told you, Egypt will not save you from the Assyrians. Only I can save you. And the way to be saved is to repent and return to me in faith. And so we learned last week from a negative example, and and that's always disappointing. It's disappointing to see God's people fail to trust him with their trouble. But we were able to mine some important truths. But this week, I have good news. Because this week, Hezekiah does it right. This week, we get to see the leader of God's people turn to God in faith in the midst of the trouble. And then we get to see God miraculously rescue his people from the Assyrians. The time that our story occurs is 701 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, as a reminder, Hezekiah's father Ahaz had bowed the knee to the king of Assyria and made Judah a vassal state of the Assyrian Empire. And every year, tribute and boys headed off to Assyria and But when Hezekiah became king, he said, no more. I am no longer a vassal. And that was an act of faith because it was inappropriate for God's people to be kneeling to anyone other than their God, the true and the living God. But Hezekiah knew that as soon as he rebelled, the Assyrians were going to inevitably come to get him because they had a policy That if you were once a vassal state, if you ever rebelled, they had to come and completely destroy you. And that was a way to uh, teach all the other vassal states, you don't want to rebel against us. So Hezekiah knew Assyria was going to be coming for them. And in our story today, the day has come. Assyria has invaded Judah. In fact, they've already conquered almost the entire land. 46 of the fortified cities of Judah have fallen to the Assyrians. There are only two cities left standing, Lachish and Jerusalem. And Shanacharib, the king of Assyria, has besieged Lachish. And if Lachish falls, there's only Jerusalem. Hezekiah and his nobles are in Jerusalem, the capital city. And Shennacherib sends his field commander, the Rabshakeh, with a large army to Jerusalem to call for surrender. Guys, we're coming for you, and you'll be much better off to just put down your arms and surrender now 
Because if we have to come and besiege Jerusalem and conquer you, it's going to be a terrible day. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 36, where we pick up the story. And this is an exciting story because this is a story of God's people in the time of tribal, trouble turning to God in faith. And then we get to see God come down and deliver his people in a, in a mighty way. Isaiah chapter 36. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh, the field commander, from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool of the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Three of Hezekiah's top officials have come out to hear what the Rabshakeh has to say. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Syria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? I want you in your Bibles to underline that, this line. In whom do you now trust? Underline it. <clears throat> this is the question of our story today, and it is the question of the Christian life. In whom do you trust? Now, the Reb Shekah, he can't understand how Hezekiah and the, and the people of Judah can still believe that they have any hope. We are the mighty Assyrian army. We've already conquered 46 of your 48 fortified cities. How can you possibly believe that you still have a chance? Who can possibly save you from our mighty power? In whom do you trust? This is the question of life. And I'll tell you what, you better not be trusting in your own strength, your own wisdom. It will fail you. And if you trust in another human, they will fail you. Better not trust in your wealth, in your position, in your job. They'll all fail you. There is only one in whom we should trust. And that is God himself. It is very appropriate for the Christian to see in the Assyrian army uh, a representation of Satan and the forces of evil. And Satan asked the Christian, in whom do you trust that you think you can rebel against me? You want freedom from my kingdom? You don't want me calling the shots in your life? You want freedom from your addiction? Who's going to help you? I have the power but actually, no. God is much mightier than Satan. So in whom do we trust? That is the, the big question. And this story, what it is telling us is that if we will put our trust in God, we do not need to be afraid 
because no one can compete with God's power. The Rabshakeh goes on to identify some of the things that uh, the Jewish people might be uh, trusting in, and he attempts to knock them down like pillars. You trusting in this? Pa! You shouldn't be. It's not going to save you. And he starts with Egypt. Verse 6. Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Assyria knew that Judah had made an alliance with Egypt. And they're saying, Egypt is not going to save you. They're like a, a, a broken reed, and if you lean on it, it's going to splinter and shards will come up into your hand and harm you. And you know what? They're right. God had told the people that through the prophet Isaiah when they first made the alliance with Egypt. God said, Egypt will not save you from Assyria. And so, the Reb Shekai is correct. Verse 7, but if you say, uh, verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Okay, so the Assyrians knew a bit about the political situation in Judah. They, I'm sure, had spies. They'd learned a lot after uh, conquering most of the country. And they knew that Hezekiah had ordered the high places destroyed. The high places are where many of the Jews went to worship their idols, or even to worship the Lord, but in, an, in, in the wrong way. And Hezekiah, being a godly king, destroyed the high places and said, if you want to worship, you come to Jerusalem and you worship the Lord at his temple and in the way that he has prescribed. Well, the Assyrians, their worldview, their religious worldview says, hey, you have limited uh, the worship of the Lord. And how can he be happy with Hezekiah uh, and want to protect him. Pretty weak argument for those who actually know the true worship of the Lord. Verse 8, third pillar. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. You trusting in your military power to save you? That's crazy. I've got so many horses, I could give you 2,000 horses. You can't find 2,000 men capable of riding on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Chariots, cavalry, these were the, uh, the, the modern weapons in that day. And and the, the Jews didn't have them. They had to rely on uh, chariots and cavalry from Egypt. So they're saying, you don't have a chance militarily against us. That's another pillar uh, that the Rabshakeh knocks down. And then finally, Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land. And destroy it. Now this, I'm sure this stung. What he's saying is, 
why would God be fighting for you when God told me to come up here and conquer you? And there was a ring of truth in that because Isaiah had been saying for decades, due to your stiff neckedness, due to your sin, due to your refusal to repent, due to your covenant breaking, God is going to discipline you by allowing the Assyrians to come and uh, conquer you like water coming all the way up to the neck to almost drown you. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Okay, so the Rabshakeh's He's saying all this stuff in Hebrew, and the common person can understand what he's saying. And so Hezekiah's officials say, please speak to us in Aramaic. Stop speaking to us in Hebrew. We understand Aramaic, and let's keep this between the leadership. We don't want the common man understanding what you're saying. But the Rav Shakah says, <laughs> I'm being very intentional. I'm speaking in Hebrew because I want everybody to hear what's coming to them. Because he's trying to instill fear in the people and he wants the people to rise up against Hezekiah and insist on a surrender. The Rab Shakah said, verse 12, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rab Shakah stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king. Of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, each one of you his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So the Reb Shekah is saying, I know what Hezekiah is telling you. He's telling, telling you the Lord's going to save you and not let Jerusalem be taken. That's ridiculous. We're going to conquer you. But if you come out now and don't make us besiege the city and fight you, well, we'll go easy on you. Yes, we'll deport you, of course. And he wasn't going to, nobody would have believed him otherwise because the, the uh, Assyrian policy of, of rebels being forcibly removed from their land and settled in another land and some other peoples being uprooted from their land and resettled into the land. That was standard Assyrian policy. Everybody knew it. There was no way people would believe it otherwise. But he said, hey, we'll send you to a nice rosy land. It'll be much like your land. And we'll let you stay in your own houses, drinking from your own cisterns, eating your own crops until that day comes. It's going to be easy on you if you give up now. Verse 18, beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the Sepharvaim? 
Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Look, we've conquered many nations who had gods. None of their gods were capable of resisting us. We conquered all of them. Their gods fell before our mighty power. Why do you think your God will be any different? The Lord, the God of Israel, Judah does not have the, the ability, the strength to resist our mighty power. That's what he's saying. Verse 21. But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rab Shekah. And now we begin to see Hezekiah's faithful response to this great threat from the Assyrians. Verse 37, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. The very first thing Hezekiah does faced with this great day of trouble is he humbles himself before the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will forgive them their sins and heal their land. A broken and contrite spirit I will in no wise cast out. The very first thing we are to do when we find ourselves in a time of trouble is to humble ourselves before God and seek his face. You know, sometimes the trouble in our life is of our own making. And we know it. We know that I'm here because I sinned. I was foolish. This trouble is of my own making. Why is Jerusalem threatened by the Assyrians? Because they had been sinning for centuries against their God. They are finding themselves in a mess of their own making. But let me tell you this. When you find yourself in a mess, you give God something to bless. And you can do that even when it's a mess of your own making. And so, yes, Jerusalem is is under pressure because of their own sin, and yet Hezekiah does what is right. He humbles himself before the Lord. That's what the wearing of sackcloth is. That's what the tearing of the clothes is. It's showing repentance and grief and humility, and he goes to the temple to, to seek the face of the Lord to find mercy and grace, because that is what God gives us when we humble ourselves. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, St. Peter says, and he will lift you up. God just simply responds to humility with mercy and grace. That's just what he does. And you can have the mercy and grace of God poured out upon you in your day of trouble, even when it's a day of trouble brought about through your own sinfulness. What an encouraging word. Well the second thing that Hezekiah does. Is he, he enlists Isaiah to pray with him. 
Verse 2, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priests covered with sackcloth. I imagine Hezekiah told him, guys, wear sackcloth. To the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, they said to him, thus says Hezekiah. So Hezekiah tells him what to wear and also tells him what to say. And here's what Hezekiah once said to Isaiah. This day is a day of distress of rebuke. He understood that the presence of the Assyrians was a rebuke from the Lord, just discipline for their sin, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. God, we don't have anything left to give. We're at the end of ourselves. We're completely helpless. We are needy. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. I think Hezekiah understands the Rabshakeh has gone too far, has blasphemed, has gone so far as to say God can't protest. It's one thing to say God won't because he's angry at his people, it's another thing to say, God can't. Now you've blasphemed. Now you have thrown down the challenge to the living God. And I think Hezekiah suspects they've gone too far, provoked the Lord, and maybe in that will come our rescue. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When you find yourself in a time of trouble, ask other Christian men and women to pray with you and for you. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. And when God's people care and cry out to him, he hears and responds. Verse 5. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. Because of the words that you've heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Yeah, it, it didn't get past the Lord what they had said. Behold, I'll put a spirit in him, in Shennacherib, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. Hezekiah, don't be afraid. I'm going to send Shennacherib packing back to Nineveh, and there he will die by the sword. Third thing that Nehemiah does in the face of trouble is he believes God's promise and acts upon his word. Apparently, he sent back word to Shennacherib, we will not surrender, God will indeed deliver us. Well, the Rabshakeh returned meaning he heads back to uh, powwow with Shennacherib, and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he'd heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhakah, king of Cush, he set out to fight against you. So the Egyptians finally moved to fulfill their alliance with Judah. And so an Egyptian army under Pharaoh Tirhakah, Haka come out, 
And the Bible doesn't tell us how that battle went, but other historical sources make it pretty clear that Shanacharib was able to kind of just swat away the Egyptian army. And the Egyptians went home and never tried again to rescue Judah. But while Shanacharib heads out to meet this Egyptian army, he sends a letter to Hezekiah to let him know, I have not forgotten about you and I will be coming back and you better surrender between now and then. And when uh, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. This is what causes me to think that Hezekiah had told Shennacherib, God's promised he's going to deliver us. We're going to trust him to do that. And what's Shennacherib saying? God is lying to you. Don't let God deceive you. He is making a promise to you he cannot fulfill. Why? Because we are stronger than your God. He can say he's going to protect you, but he can't because we are mightier than the God of Israel. Now that's blasphemous. Now, Shnacherib has called the very character of God into question. Called God a liar. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozon, Haran, Reseph, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of the Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivah? Listen, no one has yet been able to stand up against us. All their gods have failed them. Why do you think you will be any different? And in Shennacherib's mind, you won't be any different because the greatest power on the planet is the Assyrian army. And I am its leader. And when I say I'm going to do something, it will be done and none can stand against me. That's what Shennacherib is saying in his heart and in his words. And Hezekiah knows, oh, Shennacherib has gone way too far and certainly has provoked God to act. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. He made a beeline. Where? Not to his generals to get together a a war strategy. Not to his counselors to to figure out their next political move. He made a beeline to the temple to talk to God. And he spread it before the Lord. What a picture. He gets this letter, probably a scroll. He reads it. And then he heads to the temple and he rolls out that scroll and he sets it before the Lord and he says, look at this, God, look at this. Look what they're saying about you. You can't protect us. You won't protect us. Calling you a liar. Act, Lord, on behalf of your people for your own glory so that everyone will know who is truly the power in the universe. Verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, Lord of angel armies, God of Israel, you have a special relationship with us, God, enthroned above the cherubim, 
you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Hezekiah knows who God is. He's not just the God of a little nation in the world, one of many gods. Rather, he is the only God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the commander of all the armies of heaven. And then there's little Shennacherib and his little human army, and they do not compare with the power of God. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. You see, Hezekiah knows there's not a real power struggle. It's, the, the only question is whether God wills to act on our behalf. If God wills to act on our behalf, we will be saved. Because there's not yin and yang and good and evil and they're kind of struggling with each other and you never quite know who's going to win. There's God, maker of heaven and earth and everyone else. And then the question is never can God, the question is only will God. And once God decides to act, it is game over. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. These other so-called gods of the nations were not real gods at all. You are the only real God. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. God, save us for your glory, for your name's sake, so that everyone in the world who is watching this drama being played out will know who's the mighty one, who is the true and living God, and it's you. Verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Shennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he goes on to say, I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to send him back home and the city will, of Jerusalem will be saved. Skipping to verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. I'm not going to let Shennacherib even besiege Jerusalem. I am going to rescue Jerusalem before that ever happens. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. 
Then Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. The ending is almost anticlimactic. Why? Because once God decided to act, he acted. And there was no question as to whether or not his will would be done. It was done. The angel of the Lord goes through the camp of the Assyrians, strikes down in the night 185,000. What's Sennacherib going to do? He has to pack up and go home because his army's been devastated. And he goes home and, and from other historical accounts, from what we know, he never sallied forth out of Nineveh again. And about two decades later, his sons come in and murder him while he's in the temple of his God, who is not a real God at all and has no power to save him. In whom will you trust? In whom will you trust? Hezekiah. Hezekiah recognizes that God is unique. There is only one God. There is only one who has all power. And God in his own, for his own purposes and out of his own good character, elects to enter into a relationship with people. And when we are his own, we can trust his promises and his goodness to us. We can give our lives over to him and rest assured that he will take care of us. In whom do you trust? Don't trust yourself. Don't trust another person. Don't trust a human institution or a power or wealth or anything else. There's only one to trust in, and that is God, your maker. There is no greater enemy we face than Satan who wants our souls and tries to convince us that we belong to him and that we have no ability to live a different life. And God wants you to know that he is there for you. You can trust in his son Jesus Christ and have your sin debt forgiven. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be indwelt by his spirit, empowered to live the life that pleases God. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and when you die, you go to be with the Lord. And when he returns, you, you rise from the dead to live forever with him in heaven. Is your trust in God and in his son, Jesus Christ? It can be. It's a choice you and I make. And it's a choice that makes all the difference. Let's pray. God, we say we trust in you. We cheer Hezekiah. We cheer your faithfulness 
your salvation, the mighty salvation you worked on behalf of your people in 701 B.C., right there in Jerusalem. And Lord, the even greater salvation you did when Jesus came into the world and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and burst forth from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death. And Lord, we celebrate you, we respond to you in faith, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray.